Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and today, you guys, you get me. Uh, I'm, I'm alone today. I've been doing interviews like repeatedly for the last several episodes, which I think I've, I mean, I've definitely really enjoyed them. I know a lot of people have enjoyed them too, and I hope to continue to do them. But I haven't done an episode just me in a while, so here I am. Yay, let's, let's hang out. Let's talk for a moment. Sit down. Have a, have a seat. Or are you driving? Are you at a coffee shop? Are you in your living room? What are you doing? It's fine. <laughs> okay, so listen, today's episode is going to be interesting. I've never done this before, but I'm excited to try it out. Um, I think it'll be cool. We'll see. Leave your comments in the in the podcast. I'd love to know what you guys think. Um, but also, just a little update. Um, Reading has been smoky for a while, and I was on a walk with a friend yesterday and had to lament for a moment. Not that I'm interested in complaining, but usually this time of year... My friends and I are playing volleyball as often as possible, right? I love that sport. A lot of us, it's our favorite sport. We love getting out there. We just set up in a park and go to town. But for the last like three weeks, maybe a month, we haven't been able to do it because of all the fire and smoke everywhere. It's been so sad. And it's getting dark at like 7.30 at night in in California now. So that's just a weird little like, uh, sending it into the night. (laughs) Goodbye, summer volleyball. Um, but the air has gotten better, which is nice. So anyway, I'm, I'm sad that I've said any of this. It was a waste of our time. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Anyway, listen, today I wanted to talk about, um, a, an Instagram post that I had, that I posted at the release of this episode. It was a few days ago. Um, but at the moment that I'm recording this, it was today. Um, I posted a whiteboard that has me laying in the grass and the, the whiteboard says my sheep hear my voice. They don't make me talk. And that's me like writing on behalf of God, right? So I want to read you guys the caption, and I want to talk about this. I actually had somebody respond to this post today asking if I could provide some examples of this or illustrating it in my own life, so I will share some of those as well. So shout out, Jeremy, there you go. Um, but I'm going to read the caption, and then we're going to talk about this because I think this is, such a, this is a big deal, and I think a lot of people, especially in the Christian world, in the church, I think a lot of people don't understand this, and so I want to try and shed some light on it and shed some personal experience on this. Um, I'm not interested in teaching in this space. I'm going to share my experience and my, like, just my perspective and what I've experienced from God here. Okay, so the caption says, if I got a dollar for every time a Christian told me something they thought God said or didn't say, I'd have residual income. <laughs> it's pesky how addicting it can be to try and control what God wants for us in our lives. What's even peskier is how tolerated and this idolatrous practice is in Christianity. God is not hard to hear. He's just scary to obey. To make matters worse, he doesn't tend to repeat what he said when obedience to the original statement has not happened. Unfortunately, many of us are content to hurry on with our lives, stimulated by what the world has to offer, chasing Christian dreams, and bending over backwards to build a theology that affirms the residue of an unbelieving life. At this point, I think the main struggle for the average Christian today is not a tumultuous political climate. It's not the powers of darkness. It's not even their own trauma. It's a stiff neck, an unyielding heart, the refusal to accept the position of a follower of a believer. 
We don't want a river of living water to come out of us. We want a hose. We want to install a faucet and a filter and a basin and a plug, all the while not even sure we want to get wet. Duh! Uh, listen, this is too true. And I know this is true because I have been this way and can continue to be this way and it's not awesome it absolutely steals from our vitality and what we're supposed to experience in life um i okay i'm gonna start off this by saying there was a moment before i moved to reading after i moved back to the states from japan i had a four four month window there and there was a lot of prophetic stuff happening in my life at that time i had a lot of dreams that like have very dramatically impacted my story that changed the course of my life in that window but I woke up one morning and I had this vision where there was a cup, like a paper cup sitting on a table, like with a tablecloth, right? And it was just sitting there. And I was like in this moment kind of analyzing the cup. And I was aware that there was a, a mindset that would come to this scenario and study the cup. The cup had three-fourths water in it, right? And so we can approach this cup and think, okay, the cup is this round. This, the circumference is this many centimeters or whatever. It has this much water. It holds this much weight blah, blah, blah. And we can study the idea of wetness, right? And what water is like and how it relates to things. We could describe the effect and we could have all this data about what this thing is like. And the Lord was speaking to me in this and was like, you know, people are studying this thing and analyzing it. And I knew that this had to do with like our relationship with God. A lot of people approach God with their theology. They study him. They try to like understand and like contain his limits, how far does it go? To what degree? And we like hunt and thirst for ways that we can limit who he is. We don't know we're doing this, but when we assign attributes to him, we think that we contain him in that way, that he is restrained there, right? And so I was aware that there was a, a spirit to this, where there's a mindset where when we look at this, when we relate to the Lord, we want to bring our constraints to him for whatever reason. I don't I think there are lots of them. But anyway, he, and he was, the Lord was coming to me in this moment, and I think not I think sorry he was addressing the inappropriateness of that and he's um and so I, I knew I was supposed to will for this cup to, to turn over so I did in my mind it turned it spilled onto the tablecloth and the tablecloth became discolored because it got wet right and then the Lord said to me the point is to be wet and I, I mean, it sounds so simple right now, right? And I get it. I like it. You guys kind of like, why are you telling us this story? But when I, when that happened, I was very, because back then I was not a spirit-filled believer necessarily. I didn't really have language. I had some experiences, but not a ton of understanding. I had a lot of faith and f like suspicion and like bad theology that was getting in the way of me walking in obedience to the Lord in a lot of ways. Um, but I wanted to know more. You know what I mean? I felt like Tarzan, like trying to learn about the world. I want to know, can you show me? I regret that as well. Okay, anyway, I wanted to understand and I wanted to like have more exposure to who God was and like I wanted him to be out of my control. I couldn't have told you that, but I was aware there was a scary primal desire for God to be out of my control. And if you're being honest, you want that too. <laughs> okay, so anyway, when the cup tipped over and the tablecloth was wet, and he said the point is to be wet, I knew that there was um, a difference between studying God, having good theology, and living a good Christian life, right? There's a difference between that and being wet, aka being full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God. Those were two different things. And I didn't understand it. I just knew there was an appetite in me longing to know the soaked version of walking with God, right? 
not studying him, not practicing him, not obeying him, walking with him, knowing him, letting him flow through my life with a, a seamless possession, if you will. <laughs> that sounds weird. Anyway, th- and that was a very real thing that I feel like the Lord was leading me to. And I was like, ooh, that matters. And that was it. That's the, the end of that simplicity, simplest, what? Simple moment. Okay, so since then, I've been heavily, I mean, I was involved in ministry before that, but when I came to Bethel, I did first and second year, and then, you know, obviously just got very involved in ministry, preaching and mentoring and teaching and whatever. I've had many conversations with Christians. I've done a lot of counseling, a lot of mentoring, a lot of coaching, a lot of one-on-one conversations, a lot of Q&A, right, with students in the school especially, but also when I travel and speak, I try to open up Q&A. I've had lots of dialogue with many Christians from a bunch of different environments, different cultures, whatever, and there is a consistent thread throughout all these conversations where the majority of people I've talked to have a mechanism in their approach to their relationship with the Lord that is absolutely stealing from their ability to joyfully walk out obedience to him. Um, and it's this, it's this, (laughs) we have a theology and a heart posture or an attitude in the church that it's religious that tells us that the outcome of our lives, or, you know, we're going to call it the fruit we are responsible for that, for what it looks like, what it's made out of, how much of it there is. We think that's something that we're supposed to do. And when we don't have those things, it's because of us. It's our fault. Um, and the problem with this whole mentality is it's obsessed and focused. It's obsessed with and focused on us. It makes the whole story about us. We actually can't produce any fruit by ourselves. So when we continue to measure and analyze and judge, judge and assess our performance, our hearts, the state of our hearts or whatever, we are not going to produce the fruit that comes from the Lord because we're not looking to the Lord, right? We are instructed in the New Testament to set our eyes on things above than to set our hearts on things above, right? To um, set our, um, wait, what's the, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is good, to think on these things, right? To meditate on the law of the Lord. We are instructed to continuously be focused and obsessed with and looking to Jesus, But a lot of what happens in the church is we are taught, we are trained, and we are rewarded to focus and meditate and obsess on us, on our performance, on our habits, on our attitude or whatever. And you have to realize, like, I mean, it was so liberating when this started to change in my own life. Those things, the state of our hearts, our attitude, our thoughts, our emotions, our choices, those are symptomatic of the spirit we are of. And when we obsess over ourselves, when we say yes to the religious spirit, it makes us focus on the things that we are doing wrong, the ways that we're not measuring up. It just constantly um, hones in on a discrepancy, on a lack, on a gap, right? On a distance or separation. God is not doing that. So when it comes to being wet, right? Instead of approaching God with our forceps and our magnifying glass and our petri dishes which is so impersonal by the way it's so depersonalizing which is not fair to him like god is not a thing to be studied he's a person to be loved uh and that was a huge radical shift for me when i first started encountering him before i moved to japan like god is someone to love to let love come from us toward him that he supplies not someone to be studied and measured, and bottled, and used. Ugh, you know what I mean? And I, I get that we're not trying to do that, but we have mechanisms in our culture, specifically in the church, that train us to relate to him like that because we can get measured results, right? 
And I'm like, ooh, that whole agenda of trying to get these certain results is absolutely coming from a lack of desire or a refusal maybe to submit to the Lord and to trust him in this place. We have to guarantee our faithfulness because what if he doesn't do it? And that's really a question of his character, right? Okay, we're getting off track. Anyway, back to the cup on the table. We want to live a life that's soaked, that's wet. And I'm not saying we throw away responsibility or maturity or self-control. Like, I'm not saying those things go away. They actually don't. If anything, by trusting and submitting to the Spirit of God, our self-control, our maturity, our responsibility intensifies. We become the most thoughtful, the most conscientious, the most in control of us. He produces that stuff, actually. It's not something we're supposed to bring to compensate for how wild the spirit is. The spirit world is wild. God is like the wind, right? The spirit blows to and fro. We don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. That's true. However, the spirit does not produce chaos or irresponsibility or selfishness or carelessness. That's not what happens. So just because we don't understand the direction sometimes or the, like the, the end result, it doesn't mean that it produces immaturity or selfishness or chaos. It doesn't, he doesn't produce those things. He makes us even more aware and more reverent of the value and worth that other people possess. And it causes us to approach our relationships and our choices, especially the things we do that affect other people with thoughtfulness, <laughs> with intentionality and awareness, right? Okay, so anyway, um, as we look at the whole soaked life, there is this resistance in us to allowing God to lead us where we're, where he's leading us because we don't know where, what it's going to do to us. We don't know what's going to happen. And I can tell you that from experience. Uh, I mean, we all get this, right? Um, so for example, Jeremy, I'm gonna give you this example. When I came back from Japan and you guys know some of the story from earlier podcast episodes, if you listened to all these episodes, I came back from Japan and the Lord, I had a dream when I was in Guam before I came back. And basically I, I told this woman, I want, Jesus's dreams back from the dead, right? And then when I came to uh, to Oregon and I woke up at a friend's house, like two weeks having been in Oregon and thinking of going back to my old life, the way everything was, um, I heard in my mind, this isn't like the similar space that I had that cup vision. Um, I heard the Lord say to me, this is not the cemetery that I brought you to. And in that dream two weeks prior across the world, uh, I was standing in front of Jesus's tomb, right? So I knew that that was related um, and you guys, something I'm noticing with the Lord, because it's happening again at this in this season of my life, when he speaks, there's a sequential like repetition to it, not of the same message, but he continues on a thread. There's like a, a breadcrumb trail and he continues to speak and reveal things sequentially along a path that is supposed to lead you, right? There's a direction and a progression and it's not for us to accomplish this. It's for us to seek it out, to discover it's adventurous, it's mysterious, it's romantic, it's terrifying, it's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so that happened, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm not supposed to stay here. Great, where should I go?" And I knew that he was telling me not to leave or to leave, to not go, not to stay in Oregon again. And I was like, "Ah," I was stressed out by that because I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know why I left. Right, and so I was willing. I was definitely like willing to leave. And I was like, "Okay, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Would you please just tell me where?" Um, and he didn't say anything to that. The only thing I could think of at that point that same morning was if I'm going to go anywhere, if I had to choose somewhere to go to follow what I think the Lord's doing in my life, I'd choose to go to Reading to be part of Bethel because I experienced a bunch of Bethel while I was in Japan and it changed my life. So I was like, that's where I'd go, but I'm not going to Reading because who the bleep wants to live in Reading? <laughs> so that wasn't an option, right? 
Um, anyway, so for four months, I lived my life. I had enough savings in the bank to like sustain myself, right, or whatever, not work. So I went and hung out with friends, and I got coffee with people, and I went on a lot of walks. Every day I would go on walks uh, on a walk and talk to the Lord for a while. Like every day, I was a very prayerful person. And I would basically like thank the Lord. I'd worship, right? And then I'd also let him know like, hey, I get that you want me to leave. I'm down. Let's do it. Where would you like me to go? God, I don't care where you say, I don't care what you say, I don't care how you say it. Just let me know, right? Where do you want me to go? I'll go anywhere. Where do you want me to go? Please don't say China. Please don't say Africa. You know, just wherever. And he wouldn't say anything. And this happened for months. Like, he wouldn't say a word. And I became, I remember it was getting kind of awkward. I think two months into this, I'm like, he's not saying anything to me. And I don't think it's because I can't hear him. I don't think it's because my heart posture is in the wrong place. I don't think it's because I'm inconsiderate or unwilling. I think he's intentionally silent right now. I don't know why. And I was kind of nervous about that. It made me uncomfortable. I never thought, oh, I'm doing something wrong or, you know, God's punishing me or he's far away. It wasn't like theology that was getting in the way. I knew this guy talks to me. I knew that he's with me. Like I understood that from a pretty fundamental place. So it wasn't like, oh, he's not talking um, or I can't hear him. It was, oh, he's intentionally not saying anymore. Oh, and I was nervous about that. I knew there was something off, right? So fast forward, it had been four months of me just doing this. And basically, you guys, the Bible is so helpful because you see characters doing things in their relationship with God that are incriminating, right? And so Jonah kind of feels a bit like relevant to this part of my life. Um, he was told what to do and just didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? And I think that that's basically what I was experiencing. I didn't have as explicit language as Jonah did. But I had enough like communication from the Lord that I, I think in the spirit I actually was accountable. And I did know what he was saying. I just didn't want to know it, right? But I, you know, in my brain had enough, you know, what do you call it? Um, there's a legal term for this that I'm not going to get right right now. But like maybe reasonable doubt. Is that the phrase? I had enough reasonable doubt that I, I, I was justified in continuing to linger and wait and like ask God for further clarity. So anyway, one fateful day after four months of this, I had had a great day. I came home. Uh, I was living with my parents for this whole time. <laughs> so that's a factor. Um, came home, closed the door to my bedroom. I'm aware immediately of a presence standing in front of the window in my room that was there to frustrate me. And I, I would have called it, I called it for a while, a spirit of frustration. And I said out loud to this spirit in my room, I know you're here. And as soon as I said that, something broke in my spirit, like, I all of a sudden knew I couldn't continue to sustain myself in, in, in Oregon. And so a week and a half, like the next day, I remember I was driving to the beach with my mom. Um, she was babysitting someone's child or two kids. Maybe I don't remember. Anyway, we were driving to the beach with the kids in the back or back seat. And I was looking out the window all dejectedly and like resigned. I'm like, mom, I think I need to move to Reading. And she got all excited and wanted to help me move. Um, so a week and a half later, I packed everything I, cared about and was moving my life to Reading, which was crazy. And as I drove closer, and you guys know the story, as I cl drove closer to Reading, I just felt lighter and lighter, like weight was getting lifted off me and freedom was just taking its place. And my life picked back up. But that's an example of um, this scenario where like, it's not that God's not talking to us, it's that we don't want to obey what, he, what we heard. And so we're going to keep looking for other things he'll say. What else do you want to say, God? Th th thanks for that. Anyway, what else can we talk about? You know what I mean? And you guys, that's not relationship. That's not submission. That's not trust. That's not belief. That's not following him. That's not faith. That's fear. You know what I mean? 
Um, and listen, I get to say this to us because I did it and I'm doing it again. Like I'm in a season right now where I'm getting to repent for things that I've neglected and avoided that the Lord has spoken to me about because it's terrifying to obey him in this place. Right. And so I want to just like draw a little red circle around this. I don't want to make it huge. I'm not trying to embolden this. I just want to let you know, like this is, this matters and we're accountable for this. The Lord says what he says, right? He is not here to convince us of anything. He doesn't owe us an explanation. And I think some of us have an attitude, whether we've realized it or not, where we think he is supposed to explain it to us, that he needs to justify it or prove it or guarantee success or whatever in order for us to be convinced to say, yes, and I'm here to tell you right now, that is absolutely not true. That is inappropriate. That has nothing to do with your relationship with the Lord. That's something complete. That's something entirely that has no business being part of this. Uh, and we can call it lots of things. It doesn't matter. It's just not appropriate. Okay. And so when he says whatever he says, it's our end of the relationship to trust him, to receive that, to accept what he said and to obey. And so many of us, I think, and I'm, kind of referencing some things from this post that I wanted to um, draw attention to. When he says something and we don't obey him, we end up living in this desert experience, right? When we see the Israel, uh, the Israelites in their journey from out of Egypt to the promised land, what drama, right? And we see them making choices and all those things happening. Um, it's awkward how allegorical and relevant to our journey this is they didn't want to say yes to what God was doing, right? He showed them the promised land, take this place, I'll give it to you. And there are 10 of them are like, uh, no, you need to prove to us. You need to give us something else. We cannot do this. Again, looking at their ability, their stature, their measurement, their contribution, looking at them, we can't do this, right? Joshua and Caleb are like, we can do it. We can take them. The Lord is with us, blah, blah. And so because of the disobedience of these spies and what Israel chose, they got to wander in the desert for 40 years. Listen, that sucks, obviously, but that also happens to us, you guys, not as punishment. It is that the desert comes to serve us still. It is there to temper our hearts and wear out the unbelief, to get rid of all the stuff in us that has kept us from saying yes to the Lord. So you understand in that story, as they wandered around for 40 years, the generation that agreed with the, the verdict that we can't take this land, they wandered for 40 years until every last person in that generation died. And when those people were gone, the new generation of Israel got to step up, led by Joshua and Caleb, and they took the land, right? <laughs> Crazy. And like incrementally, they didn't take the whole thing all right all at once because they didn't have enough of them to occupy the thing. And anyway, um, so there's wisdom that that's not relevant to the story um, or this conversation right now. There are things that got, so I'm speaking to you guys now as the listeners, and I, sorry, this wasn't supposed to be a sermon. This is me just kind of processing, but uh, this matters. Those of you listening right now, I'm here to tell you, and for some of you, this is like absolutely the word of the Lord for you. You're welcome. Listen to this. It's, I'm not, I'm speaking to myself too. Okay. Listen, I had to like go through some stuff like months ago to get to like repent for some of this. It's awkward because I've done this before with the Lord. I've had moments where he said stuff to me and I didn't, I didn't say yes. And then, you know, I got some desert experience under my belt and then I'm like, Oh, I'm going to say yes now. Right. Um, the word of the Lord here is this. God has spoken. It's not that you haven't heard him. It's not that he's distant or far away. You heard him. He said what he said. <laughs> the problem here is not that he's not clear enough. It's not that he's disinterested or separate from your experience. The problem here is you don't trust him. The problem here is you just don't believe. Yeah. That's the real problem, y'all. And 
if you're willing to admit that and recognize it, you could literally go back to the last thing he said, as honest as you're capable capable of being, and grab whatever in. And here's the thing, you guys: it's in faith, so you can't prove to anybody else that God said this to you. That's what makes this journey fascinating and so foolish to the world, right? When the intellectual community looks at faith or the religious world, Christians, and they look at our approach to life and our attitude and things that we accept as valid, legitimate guidance or clarity or explanation for reality, they scoff at us, right? It's foolishness to the Greeks, to the Western mindset. Oh, you're going to do that because you believe it. That's why you don't you forget science, forget facts, forget proof. You're going to go off what you feel, what you believe, right? It sounds stupid and it is stupid. The gospel is, is ridiculousness. It's stupidity. You know what I mean? Like what? Um, it's a joke. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be like, irreverent here. I'm just like, I'm trying to drive a point across. This doesn't make sense to people who don't know Jesus. It's not going to. And so, and even if people do, they might not recognize the voice of the Lord in your life the way that only you can. It doesn't alleviate you of responsibility of saying yes to him. There's intimacy here. You know what I mean? Like if you're married to somebody and you learn who they are and you get to know them and you like so submit to caring for this person, you become attentive and intentional and aware and acutely aware of their rhythms and the nuances about their person and what they like and what they don't like and why and whatever. And they say something to you and you know, it means something deeper than just the English, but you don't want to know what it means because of what it's going to cost you or because of what you're going to have to give up. Right. And so you go to your other friends or your coworkers or your boss or your mentor or whatever, and you tell them what your spouse said and they help you interpret what they said, but you realize that everyone you're talking to doesn't know this person the way you do. They don't have the intimacy with this person. They don't have the invitation. They don't have the yes, right? So they're not going to help rightly, accurately tell you what this person's saying. Okay, disclaimer, I'm not saying don't listen to other people. I'm not saying don't have accountability. I'm not saying don't submit to authority. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying that. I'm, when it comes to matters of intimacy and faith and trust in the Lord in your personal relationship with him, I'm not saying people don't have anything to bring to that space, but at the end of the day, there is a legitimate yes that we get to bring to him that no one can give us. No one can convince us it's a good idea. It must come from a volitional internal yes to who he is and what he's saying from a place of trust. Okay. So when you bring your spouse's comment, I wish I could give you a specific example. I don't have one, but like whatever, fill in the blank of whatever that could be. They say the thing and you know what it means because of your relationship, because of intimacy. And you go to other people to try and disprove what they're saying. So you don't have to do it. Who loses here? Right? I mean, that's really what this boils down to. Who cares if you disprove what your spouse said and you go do what you instead interpret it or you reinterpret it to mean it doesn't matter because this isn't about like accomplishing a certain task or like fulfilling something this is about loving your partner right and the same thing is absolutely what's going on with us and, and the holy spirit like when the lord says something to us it doesn't matter who you can get to uh, to agree with you that he doesn't mean that or to disprove what you think he might mean. It doesn't matter how many people you get to agree with you. That's irrelevant to this conversation, to this relationship. If he asks you for something that doesn't make sense, but faith tells you this is him, you have one option if you want to move forward, if you want to move toward the promised land, and it is to obey. It's to trust and obey. And it's, obedience is not, I'm just going to do the thing even though I don't want to, even though I don't think that this is true. Obedience is, oh my gosh, this guy is good and kind and for me and I trust him and I'm terrified but I would way rather die obeying him than live in the desert 
I'd rather die trying to take on a giant in the promised land than wander in the desert for the rest of my life and not actually fulfill what he asked of me. Right? Like, that's what this boils down to. Only lovers are going to get to this place in their relationship. Only lovers will say yes in this way. Only lovers will hear what I'm saying right now and not pick it apart and try and theologically get themselves out of this equation. You know what I mean? And again, I am preaching to myself. I am preaching. I didn't mean for that to happen. I don't know that I'm surprised though. Only lovers. Oh gosh. I was going to say only lovers want to get wet and I do not mean that in an inappropriate sexual way. That's awkward. But you know what I mean. So contextually to the pure, all things are pure. Get past it. Only lovers want to be wet. Everybody else wants to study the cup. They want to test the temperature, the depth, how far it'll go, what'll happen to the cloth, and blah, blah, blah. none of those people will ever tip the cup over. Only lovers want the water to saturate them. And that's what we're invited into. That's what this is about. So if God feels far away, if it feels like you haven't heard from him in a long time, if you miss Jesus, which by the way, that's a thing. That's happened to me a few times. And I don't want to admit that because I'm like, I'm a, I'm a spiritual influencer. You know what I mean? Like I can't miss Jesus, but I have for seasons of my life missed Jesus. And right now I miss him. He's not far away. I, it's not that I can't hear him. I'm working out repentance for refusing to say yes to stuff he's asked of me that I'm terrified of. And I'm sure that's going to get to come out down the pipeline. You know what I mean? I'm not going to prostitute that story, but as that plays out, I'll probably get to share it later. But man, there's a yes here, you guys, that is such a beautiful gift that we get to give him. He is impressionable. He is exposed to us. We get to influence this person. And our no to his invitation is painful for him. Not because he's insecure and needy. Because he has made himself vulnerable toward us. Oh, because he's in love. Because he's wet too. I seriously need to find a different way to talk about this. <laughs> Oh God, that was the vision, y'all. I'm kind of stuck. Anyway, um, if he feels far away or like you're writing off fumes or memories, you're writing off past encounters, I would like to say to you, there is better than this for you, my friend. You can have different, you can have better. You are not supposed to live off of yesterday's manna. There is fresh sustenance for you today and not provision and resource. Yes, that stuff comes too. I'm talking intimacy, communion, presence exchange of significant affection between you and the creator of all of this, your dad, your source, your husband, your lover, your friend. Oh, it's here and it's now. And he's, it, it's not far away. And you might not be able to like, your soul might not be able to recognize it or connect to it or engage with it because of the disobedience. And so what do we do? You go and you hunt and you flip over every piece of furniture, you turn out every drawer, you turn over every rock, you go and go and go and find any space that you are unwilling to say yes to the Lord in your life. Where is it? And when you find an area that you're like, yep, I don't want to give him that, guess what? His voice is probably on the other side of that decision. <sighs> helpful, right? I mean, gosh, that's helpful. Here's the reason it's helpful. It's true. It, like this is, a, And I'm not saying we use this as a strategy to trick God into talking to us. It's not about him talking. This is about us tempering on our end how we actually experience his voice. This allows us to remain sensitive to his influence in our life. It's not that he's not influencing us. It's that we don't want it. Okay? And that, this is not true for everybody. I understand some of you guys, like, this is not true to you. And that's okay. 
Like, just enjoy this. But the rest of you whom this is absolutely on fire for, let it burn. Let it burn you alive until it removes anything that doesn't actually belong. And whatever is left is you, is real. Real gold fears no fire. There is nothing that can happen to you that will destroy something that shouldn't be destroyed. <laughs> real gold fears no fire is a Chinese proverb. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> Ruby's here producing this podcast and wants to grab it, but I'm like, yeah, that's not mine. Um, at the end of the day, you guys, actual lovers are not afraid of the cost. What they're afraid of is being without their lover. What they're afraid of is not knowing him, is going off of pictures and Facebook posts and journal entries rather than having breakfast with him, rather than like being intimate with him, you know? And that's what we're here for, not for like regurgitating information and like passing around good ideas. We're here to know and love God in all the things. And that from that place, we get to meet every relationship, every problem, every opportunity, every invitation, and demonstrate his nature, not through practice, not through discipline, through intimacy. You know what I mean? Like, that's what this is about. So when that whiteboard says, my sheep hear my voice, they don't make me talk. My point in writing that was, so many of us have an idolatrous relationship with what we call God. We put words in his mouth and we stimulate a, a Christian experience that makes us have the sensation of spirituality without actual intimacy with God himself. And I'd like to propose to you that's absolutely a thing that many people do and it's dead. It's idolatrous. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. And we would do well to recognize that and repent immediately. Yes, this happens. Yes, we do it. Yes, it's awful. Yes, it steals from our lives. Yes, it will not produce fruit that remains. It will not produce fruit. We want, it will not reflect who God is. And it's not our job to reflect God. It's our job to say yes to what he said and he will demonstrate who he is through that yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, let it burn. Man, if you guys have questions, things you want to respond to, feel free to shoot me an email at contact at mikemyshow.com. I read that with my team every week. Um, I'm happy to get back to you on that stuff. Um, you guys, this is not an easy pill to swallow because of the culture we're raised in, because of the state of the church. We have so much religious nonsense perpetuating cycles of belief and patterns of how we approach God that are absolutely impersonal and remove the possibility for intimacy. And we just got to get rid of that stuff. I'm not interested in overturning people's tables. I'm just like, yo, don't eat it. Don't accept this. Like he's worth all you've got. He's it. So let's get rid of everything that's getting in the way of that. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, also, by the way, while we're here, I want to let you know, the NUMA School of Reformation started two weeks ago. We're on lesson two. If you have been thinking about joining us or haven't heard about it, this is the first time, and you want to jump on board, you can still do it. You're just two classes behind. You can catch up. And the first one is an hour, and it's basically just kind of, kind of like laying out the thing. So you're basically virtually one class behind. So if you're interested in that, I'm encouraging you, jump on board with us. There's still space. I will still accept um, people jumping on. This, the School of Reformation is basically um, two hours of teaching on a weekly basis where we're going into how do we actually address and recognize these mechanisms in the church that are coming in to teach us patterns and protocol that are stealing from our intimacy and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We want to recognize that stuff, repent for it, find a different way to approach walking with God today. That's what that's for. It's a wild ride. It will 
it will cost you in terms of like your, your engagement, like what you're willing to consider, what you're willing to give up. Like it's absolutely on the table. And I'm like, Hey, if you're afraid of that, you should absolutely join us. Um, so you can check it out at mikemeshow.com. Go to uh, courses, maybe courses and look at Numa school of reformation. Um, join us. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, remember to like comment, subscribe. We'd love a, a review on the podcast. Um, Super appreciate you guys joining on this conversation. And uh, listen, our next episode is going to be an exciting one. All right, I'll see you later. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.